It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. We're back here on the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmelk with you, today's guest, ESPN NFL analyst, Lewis Riddick. You can see him on Monday Night Football on ESPN's draft coverage. But first, I want to remind everybody you can find the Giants huddle podcast on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms, along with the rest of the Giants podcast network. Brought to you by Investors Bank, including Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily show every day at noon, Monday through Friday. And now we're joined by our guest. He is Lewis Riddick. He's an NFL analyst for ESPN. You can see him on Monday Night Football. And he will be part of ESPN's draft coverage in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, for the NFL draft in a couple of weeks. Lewis, thanks so much for joining us here with the Giants. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being with us, man. So sure. let's start here. The Giants were busy in free agency. Uh, they were very aggressive, one of the most aggressive teams in the league. Has Dave Gettleman set them up to the point here where they don't really have to worry about a vital need at 11 and they can just pick the best player on their board? Well, provided that all these individuals that, th- that you're talking about that they acquired and that they wound up you know, re-signing, like when you're talking about a guy like Leonard Williams, provided that they come through, yeah. I guess you know that's how you would you would – typically like to look at it, especially when you're picking where they are, that you could just sit there, wait for the, the board to fall to you, and then just take the best player available, you know, and, and kind of this really eschew taking a guy at a position that you necessarily need. Now, obviously, you know, team building is one thing, collecting talent is another. You kind of have to blend the two. So you can't just kind of haphazardly go, well, the board just says this, so I'm just going with the board. I think at this point in this program build, it's important that they get a player that can help them win games, not someone who's just going to sit on the sideline and who you say, well, three, four years from now, he's going to be good. I, I think the clock has kind of been sped up on this regime and on Dave in particular. So I think he knows he needs a guy who's going to come and have an impact. So I think you will see that kind of affect, you know, his decision-making here. Whereas maybe, you know, at the beginning of his tenure, he would have looked at it a little bit more organically and said, Hey, I'm just going to take best player." In the same vein, do you try to focus on a player, Lewis, that helps you figure out exactly where Daniel Jones is as he heads into his third year to give him some support, whether it's a weapon or some help in front of him on the offensive line? Yeah, I think those two two positions definitely have to be under consideration, particularly on the offensive line. Look, and I know they have invested a lot, both in terms of free agent money at the offensive line position over over Dave's tenure and in the draft. But the fact of the matter is it hasn't been good enough yet. And in particular, it hasn't been good enough at left tackle. Now, I knew Andrew still needs more time, and he's going to be here in his second year, and he needs to take a big jump as far as what his development looks like. But before Daniel Jones can do anything, he has to be protected in the pocket, and he has to be given time to be able to allow all the other things that Jason Garrett is trying to teach him to kind of come to fruition. But if he's always running for his life and then, you know, convert and then – subsequently is not taking care of the football and turning the football over and not winning games, then that coaching staff's not going to be there anyway to even see whether or not he can be good enough in the future because they're going to be gone. So I think you have to be – you have to consider, given that this, this draft in particular is very strong along the offensive line and there's some very, very good left tackles in particular, I mean, it would probably go against conventional wisdom to say we're going to invest in that position one more time in back-to-back years, but I don't think it's necessarily off the table. We know that wide receiver is a position where there is depth just littered throughout this draft, probably the best that you that I've ever seen. And, I, and that's not hyperbole. That's a fact. 
at all three positions, whether it be guys who can play the X, the Z, or in the slot, you've got playmakers everywhere. So you're going to have your choice to pick of you know of a of a group of guys there too. So I think it's really going to become. I I would just love to be a fly on the wall in this draft room in particular. Let's just put it that way, because you could be sitting there looking at Rashawn Slater being available, Jalen Waddle being available, hell maybe even Micah Parsons being available. So what do you do in that case? What do you do? You could use a playmaker at linebacker, although they would really like to have an edge rusher, you know, to come off the edge and pressure quarterbacks. You could definitely use a guy like Rashawn Slater. You could definitely use Jalen Waddle's playmaking ability. What do you do? I guess that's why they paid Dave Gettleman what they pay him, because he has to make that choice. So, Lewis, let, let's talk about that strategy then, right? You mentioned it's a really deep wide receiver class. I, I also think for the first time, we actually see a pretty deep, tackle class right on the offensive Very line deep. you can find sure. a good dual use guard tackle guy at the top around too so if you're dave gettleman are you thinking well if i go wide receiver here i feel good about getting an o-line in round two or, or vice versa how much does that play into your thinking when you're making that decision planning out your next couple of rounds it absolutely i mean that's exactly what you do you look at the board you look at what other teams are projected to take and what they need and you base your decision as far as team building off of that. So you say, hey, look, if there's going to be, if we project there to be a run on tackles and we really feel like that is a position that we really need in order to get to where we want to get to, we should probably take that position now because we feel as though the depth is much better at wide receiver. And although there may be a run on wide receivers, there's so many of them, we'll still probably get one that we really like and that's going to really help Daniel Jones as far as the big playmaking ability down the field. So, yeah, that, that's the kind of dance that you're constantly doing. You're trying to see who's left, who's going to be left based on what other teams are probably going to do, and whether or not you can afford to wait or do you need to move now on the position that you think is going to be more scarce once your time comes around again. And, that, and you have to do all that, you know, in a couple of split seconds here. So, It makes it intriguing for the Giants. And again, I can't stress this enough. I think you have to factor in the human element of this, which is if you're a general manager in Dave's position and you haven't had the kind of success that you want to have and you have pushed all your eggs in on the Daniel Jones basket and then you have the owner sitting here saying, I expect him to play well this year. I expect me to not have to get up here and explain to you again why I'm so disappointed you know that this put, this pick has to be an impactful pick. And that's just being honest about it. That's just being real about it. Look, this is a performance business. Everybody gets that. And so Dave knows that pick at 11 has to produce and has to give me a return on investment now. So, Lewis, based on what you're saying, and I'm just trying to extrapolate here, Yeah. if Rayshawn Slater and Penny Sewell sitting there at 11, and you're <laughs> making that decision, you'd have a real hard time saying no to one of those two guys, right? I sure would. I, absolutely I would. Because, look, if you've watched Slater play, he's going to be an all-pro within his first two years. Penny Sewell will probably be a pro bowler all-pro within his first two He doesn't have the same kind of position flexibility that Slater has. I think Slater is the best offensive lineman in this draft. If he's sitting there, Sewell's not going to be there. He'll be gone. But if he's sitting there and Jalen Waddle is sitting there and your doctors have given him a clean bill of health and you've watched his Alabama tape and you've watched the fact that this is a guy who we could put in the slot, we could put out there at the X, we can put him at the Z, we can run him on on uh, wide receiver, jet sweeps. We can put him – I mean, you're start, you start to have visions of Tyreek Hill. 
you start – because he's that fast. And you start thinking, well, heck, I can just throw him a quick bubble screen or a tunnel screen here, and Daniel can just sit back then across his arm and say, hey, go to work. That makes me look a lot better as a quarterback. That makes me look a lot better as a play caller, as a head coach, as a GM, and that's what you're trying to do. So, yeah, and then, you know, if you have those guys graded very similarly – then you start looking at it as, okay, how do I prioritize the positions one through 22? Is an offensive tackle more important than a playmaking wide receiver? Or is a playmaking wide receiver in the context of what we're doing here more important than an offensive tackle? See, these are kind of, this is what you get paid for. These are the kind of mental gymnastics that you go through as a team builder, and that's what Dave's going to possibly be faced with here in two weeks. Who do you like, Lewis, of that second tier of wide receivers that the Giants could get a piece of at 42, especially in the in the context of what they have on the roster already? Shepard, Sterling Shepard, who's a pretty good slot guy. They just got Gaudi, who was that big play contested catch guy down the field. Slayton's kind of a speed guy. will beat you deep a little bit. Who from that second group of receivers that could be there at 42 do you think fits into the Giants' offense and the players already on the roster? Yeah, look, I am a big fan of a guy like, say, Kadarius Tony from Florida. All right. Why? Because he's tough as hell. He can play all three positions at wide receiver. His run after the catch is just ridiculous. And he's a, he's a, he's a game breaker. He's just a flat out game breaker that you can move again. Okay. I, I, I don't want to like throw around the Tyreek Hill comparisons too much, but I think whenever we watch number 10 from the Kansas City Chiefs on Sundays, everybody goes, I want something that looks like that. I want a chess piece like that. And you have some guys in this draft, whether it be guys like him, uh, Dwayne Eskridge, Amari Rogers, the kind of guys who are movable guys like that, who are also just flat out home run hitters because they got blazing speed. I think the Giants could easily fit a guy like that into their plans, given the kind of people they have in Slayton and Galladay who are more traditional outside lane, down the field winners. They could use another guy to go along with Sterling on the inside who's just dynamic and just very multiple. And I think Daniel Jones would welcome that. Last question on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm not sure the Giants will have to make this choice based on how the top 10 picks go. If you're sitting there and you're staring at Devonta Smith and you're staring at Jalen Waddell, who both were super productive, but are very different types of receivers. Mm-hmm. How do you think NFL teams are going to make that type of decision? Is it based on your needs and what type of receiver you're looking for? How much does Devontae Smith weight bother you? I think you watch him on tape. You don't see that yeah. short, really, but how do you think teams would make that decision if they have to choose between those two Alabama wide receivers? I think the medical is going to play some part in this and given, you know, just, I don't think I don't think Jalen's injury is something that people think is going to have long-term ramifications as far as his durability going forward. Uh, but I think it's going to be a factor. I think people will look at uh, Devontae Smith and go, hey, look, this is a guy who can play all three positions. When Once Judy and Ruggs were gone and Jalen was hurt, he still was producing at a tremendous, tremendous clip. He has always been somebody who has answered the bell throughout his entire career. Uh, sporting career and I mean how can you go how can you go against that guy given what his resume is although you know the athletic traits and the potential upside of Jalen Waddle are very very enticing as well I think you would you would bank on and you would put your money on what Jalen what uh, Devontae has done and what he's probably going to continue to do because 
He's just a naturally gifted wide receiver who knows how to get open and make big plays. So I think I would probably I would go with Devontae Smith if I had my choice between those two, all things being equal. But you wouldn't be disappointed if you're a New York Giant fan and you wound up uh, having Jalen Waddle on your football team, that's for sure. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Lewis, talk about defense. I think we expect most of the top 10 to be offensive players. Who are your true blue-chip defensive players in this class that would have the right value for the Giants at number 11? I think really the only guy right now that you're, that you're maybe banking on as having that kind of return on investment right now would probably be Micah Parsons. If Caleb Farley had not had the back issues that he had, I would consider him to be right in that area. I think J.C. Horn's going to be someone who's going to be considered to be good value right in that area. I think had Jay, I'll tell you what, here, here's liquidity pay is someone else who I've seen be mentioned right around that pick. Although I don't, I think that's, that's rich for me, given what his, uh, where he is at in terms of his development right now as a pure pass rusher, the guy who's the wild card for me, who I, I wish, and I mean, obviously you can't, you know, turn back time and, and change the pass, but if had Jalen Phillips not had the injury history that he had, at UCLA and then him taking the time off and then going down to Miami, he to me would be the number one defensive player in this draft, given the fact that this man is 6'5, 260 pounds, rubs, runs sub 4'6, and has a total package as far as pass rush moves is concerned. He would be the number one defensive player in this draft. He was the number one player coming out in his recruiting class coming out in high school, and that's for a reason. This guy has got it all. So does he pre- present the the you know appropriate value for the Giants at 11, given his injury history? Probably not. But I think you will probably see him go off the board soon after that, provided that his you know his his checkups there in Indianapolis last week went well. And so who knows? Do the Giants then trade down and try and get even better value, given what they you know if if they don't go with an offensive player? I mean, who knows? There's a lot of different things that they could do with that pick there at 11. I just don't know if. if on the defensive side, it matches up for them as much as it would match up for them on the offensive side. You know, Lewis, we had Brian Broaddus, longtime NFL scout on our show last week, and he said this in his 30 years of scouting was one of the most, and I think the word he used was dangerous, edge rushing classes that he's looked at, where all these guys, you, you get tempted by the talent. The, the Jason Owe, oh, he's 255, and he's running a 4-3-7. But he yeah, and didn't have any sacks this year. Yeah, yeah right. right. So yeah. everyone's got a little red flag on That's him, right? right. Exactly. Is, is, exactly. Is that how you see this class, too? No question about it. No question about it. They're just not – you know, there isn't a Khalil Mack. There isn't a Jadevian Clowney like when he came out. There, there isn't that kind of guy that you have seen it be done at a high level – from a, from a skill perspective, not just from a traits perspective, there isn't that guy. 
But I'm telling see, again, I, I'm just going to go back to Jalen Phillips. That's the guy who you saw this year do it at a high level. And you said, that's a, that's an NFL caliber long arm bull rush. Oh, that's an L- NFL caliber inside counter move spin. Oh, that's a high level, you know, chop rip move on the outside. Oh, that's a high level stutter and, you know, and bull a guy as a three technique. But then you go, oh, but wait a minute. He missed time with what? Concussions and he had a wrist and he had this. That's what pushes him down. But I'll tell you, when you talk about dangerous and enticing, he's dangerous and very enticing. And I know, I know I've mentioned him on every, every show that I've been on simply because of that. And again, that's why I think if I'm needing defensive help and I'm needing edge rush help in particular, this is not the draft that you, that you would feel comfortable getting it from. Although there are some guys who you could hit on big if you play it right. I just want to follow up on Micah Parsons. You mentioned him as a blue chipper. And I think on the first, first and second down, Lewis, there's no doubt about what that guy can do. Mm-hmm. On third down, I think is interesting because he was a defensive in high school. He hasn't been asked to cover a lot. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, those instincts are the last thing to come for somebody that plays that position. It takes time. Sure. So for a guy whose third down role is going to be primarily as more of a blitzer and a mm-hmm. pass rusher on third down, mm-hmm. and you see middle linebackers, they don't get the same big five-year deals that cornerbacks get, that defensive ends get, offensive tackles, all that stuff. Positional value, you mentioned that too. Sure. How does Micah Parsons fit in that way? Because I do think the Mike linebacker position is super valuable, but you like to have some more coverage from that spot. So sure. how do you reconcile his blue chip talent with the position and role he's going to play? Yeah, and that's why that's one where, like I said, I've, I've seen him be mentioned as being someone who could be a top 12, top 15 pick. I have my reservations as well, based on the fact of, again, you're, you're right, what his value would be on third down, what is his ideal role there. Um, I think if you picked him that high, if you're going to pick him inside the top 12, top 15, which is where a lot of the mocks expect him to go, then I think you're banking on the fact that you will find a role for him on third down that is going to provide enough impact to justify drafting him at that, that position. And if that means, you know, if we're a zone blitz heavy type of team that we feel as though we're going to send him more than we're going to drop him. If you're a type of team that is going to obviously put him in some man coverage situations, you're going to, you're banking on the fact that, look, we can teach him angles. We can teach him junction points. We can teach him route concepts enough to where he'll be able to match up against running backs and tight ends well enough to where he's not a liability and he's an asset to us. And we're just going to roll with it and we're going to live with the lumps, but we're going to take the explosive plays that he gives us. And ultimately people aren't going to care if we drafted him like in the Giants case, 11 overall, they're not going to care because we're going to get that bang for our buck eventually. And, you know, that's where, that's where, you know, sometimes you can get caught in that, no man's land type of area when you're drafting outside of the top 10 or the top five where guys have very specific roles. And, but you know what, at the same time, if you can stay away from that, or if you can move down, if you have a guy like this in your plans and get him at better value and feel better about it, then that's what you do. But Hey, you know what? I think in the end, three, four years down the road, if Micah Parsons is one of those guys who is a, who's an all pro or who's a pro bowler, who is a eight, nine, 10 sack guy, 10 sack guy, as a multi-positional blitzer and is serviceable as a coverage guy and is a high impact player on first and second down. I think you've got exactly what you want. Final question on the defense side of the ball, Lewis, then we'll wrap here. I found it interesting when you talked about blue chip defensive players, you mentioned JC Horn, but you didn't mention Patrick Sertan the second. And mm-hmm. I think when you watch him, 
in a lot of ways, they're scheme dependent, I think. If you're going to run a lot of press man, all right, J.C. Horn, that guy covered Elijah Moore. He covered Kyle Pitts, who can cover guys that are that different, right, when you watch him on tape. Yeah. But Sertan is just so solid and disciplined in everything he does if you're playing him only on the outside. So is that a really scheme dependent thing for you based on which one of those guys you're going to have higher on your board in the secondary? And which guy do you think fits what the Giants do better? They did play a lot of zone last year, but Graham yeah. does come from a man-heavy tradition being with Belichick. I was about to say that. Look, Patrick Graham, look, I mean, when I think of Patrick Graham, I think of Brian Flores. I think of Bill Belichick. I think of Stefan Gilmore and Jason McCourty and what they do up there in New England, which is, hey, up here in the back end, we lock you down man to man and we beat you up at the line of scrimmage and we make it tough. Well, Patrick can, I mean, can he do that? Yeah, as long as he gets his work done in those first five yards. He doesn't have the same kind of horsepower that J.C. Uh, Horn or Caleb Farley has down the field as far as being able to really get on it and go. I mean, Farley can fly. J.C. Horn can fly. I mean, these, these guys are made to play man-to-man. You know, in, in, in Nick's scheme, they play a lot of two-man. They play a lot of split safety match quarters. You know, they play some cover three. They play, although it's it's not necessarily spot drop cover three. It's a little more of a uh, pattern match cover three. But it, it's it, you're right. It isn't as out on an island as what New England does in the pros and what Patrick Graham may want to do there. So yeah, no doubt it's scheme dependent. What corner you're going to want to take if you're going to take him that high? Because he better be matched up exactly with what you want to do. Exactly. You don't you don't draft guys who aren't good fits, man. In the top ten, top eleven, top twelve. You don't do that. I don't care what you think their traits are. You better have seen them do in college what you're going to do. Otherwise, you're going to wind up looking for a job elsewhere when that guy is not being able to give you the return on investment that you want. Yeah, and I think we saw that with Jeffrey Okuda in the Lions last year, too, by the way, just as a perfect example. Final question, Lewis. General trajectory of the Giants here. One year under Joe Judge, I think people were very impressed with mm-hmm. his program, how he ran the ship. Daniel mm-hmm. Jones is the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Your thumbnail on where the Giants are and where they're headed. Yeah, I think coming out of the you know the the exposure I had to Joe Judge and the coaching staff overall, Patrick Graham, you know, for Monday Night Football, I felt as though they have a guy here now who obviously comes from, who has a great pedigree, comes from a great program, understands what team building, accountability, uh, getting value both in free agency and the draft, what all that stuff means, and then how to coach it up on the football field and have these guys all come together and play you know, complimentary football, three-phase football. Joe gets all that. So I think they're on the right trajectory that way. I think, obviously, you know, John Mara stepped outside of his comfort zone this year and really put down some money in free agency to really see if they if that is what it will take to get this team over the hump and get them back in playoff contention. So I think, you know, from a program build standpoint, this is a very important year for this organization overall. It's an important draft for Dave. He's already done what he needs to do in free agency. This is an important draft for him. And it's going to be just critical that Joe and his staff utilizes and develops these players in the appropriate way once he gets their hands on them. Because I think the one loss record is going to tell a lot as far as where this place is headed and who it is headed with come 2022. And it's a very winnable division. All four teams think they can do it, and they will try. Lewis, great insight, tremendous stuff. We really appreciate you being generous with your time. We look forward to seeing you covering the draft for ESPN in Cleveland, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me. 
That's Lewis Riddick. Again, you can see him covering the NFL for ESPN. You can see him on their shows in the afternoon, NFL Live, uh, of course, Monday Night Football. And of course, once again, he'll be in Cleveland for ESPN's draft coverage in a couple of weeks. For Lewis Riddick, I'm John Schmelk. Thank you for being with us on this episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast, which is on the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. You can find all of our podcasts, including Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily show every weekday at noon at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and all our favorite podcasts platforms. For Lewis Riddick, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next time, everybody.